0: Hi, I'm Nikolai Shermer. I'm a professional skier, filmmaker, and Norona ambassador.
1: Welcome to Norona Podcast. My name is Aevin Aitslot. In Norona Podcast, we want to inspire you and facilitate great adventures in nature by meeting exciting people and telling fascinating stories. In this episode, we will meet a living legend within steep skiing. He has more than 70,000 followers on Instagram and almost 80,000 subscribers on YouTube. He is an icon of the modern ski culture and himself a master to tell about it. What is it that drives him? And what is his next project? It's an honor for us to welcome the Norwegian skier Nikolai Schirmer to our podcast studio here in Oslo, Norway. Welcome, Nikolai. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You look great. Do I? Yeah. Yeah. You look like a little bit of sunburned nose, or is it not correct?
0: Yeah, it's a little sunburned. And I had a big, like, backpack sunburn all over my chest. Yeah. From, like, the first. I always forget to put sunscreen on, like, at the beginning of the summer, spring season. Because I'm just so used to winter and, like, the low sun. And then it kind of pops out and, like, catches me by surprise. And I am pretty, f- like, fair. Gindery, freckled skin, so freckled skin, yeah, yeah. So it just burns terribly. So I have like, I have like a white stripe between my nipples now where my backpack strap went, oh. and then everything else is just like terribly burnt. Yeah, you look like you have just
1: been to the Lüngen Alps, the sunmura Alps, and the Italian Alps. Yeah, that's
0: correct. Yeah, I have <laughs> in a couple of days. Uh, well, not like over a few weeks, but yeah, it's been um, it's been a good spring. We yeah. had a really nice. uh it's still going in the north, actually. Like yeah. it's early May now, and it's like snowing down to sea level. Uh, we got some really good days up in Lingen, and I had an amazing shoot with you and uh, yeah. other friendly people in the yeah, same areas. Al- and actually, like the west coast. Every time I go there, I'm just like west coast of Norway just blows me away. I'm like, this is Norway. You know, it's like green and nice down by the fjord, little like farm animals, and you have the local boys riding their vespas and <laughs> and then you have these amazing mountains and that's now, a
1: nice detail with the boys yeah. on the vespas
0: yeah that's very authentic yeah no, you look
1: uh, you look pretty calm to be a globe trotter or something you travel all the time but you look like you have this uh, resting pulse
0: all the time i look calm but there's chaos on the inside <laughs> it is it's all a facade <laughs> no um yeah, I guess I am kind of calm. I I try to have or I do have like a a sort of um, yeah, I guess like my go-to mentality is that it'll be fine. It'll Things be fine. It'll work out. And You're if, an optimist. I yeah. Generally I am an optimist, yeah. Yeah. And I feel especially, you know, I'm, you know, middle-class Norwegian, <laughs> the worst-case outcome is pretty good no matter what I do. You're privileged. I'm very privileged. Yeah, very very privileged. Yeah, so
1: um, that's how you look at the world. You're a middle class Norwegian with an optimistic kind of uh, future.
0: Um, yeah. I I mean, at least materially, and then you have all the other things you gotta put into <laughs> yeah, your life. Mentally. <laughs> and uh, and um, the mental stuff. Yeah, the mental stuff can be challenging. Yeah, for sure. Um, it counts a as well. Yeah. Uh, it, no, I mean that counts. Like that's the most important, I would say, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely. But I feel like that's. I mean, having the platform that you have growing up in a country like Norway, and a, an, you know, stable family. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I recognize that I'm uh, fortunate to have that, and to build a good life from that is is. Yeah, that's a privilege, mm. and uh, and but uh, not- I try to appreciate that
1: not necessarily easy.
0: No, I mean I think life's hard for everyone no yeah. matter I've seen people you know from all walks of life from the yeah any kind of area of society and life can be terribly difficult yeah. uh no matter how privileged you are but um I do think there is something to like the material stuff too like and and there's, there's research on that right you do see in happiness research I th- I can't remember who Kahneman probably yeah. or read the book about um Daniel Kahneman, yeah. uh, psychologist. The great Thinking author. Fast and slow. Got to read the book. It's good. Yeah. Um, Israeli. Read it in English. Read it in English or your local language. Good <laughs> translations out there. And uh, he, they do happiness research and they see, I think it's up to like 70,000 US dollars a yeah. year. You actually see an increase in happiness.
1: Yeah.
0: And beyond that, you don't see an increase in the experienced happiness. So uh he uh, differentiates between the experiencing self and the remembering self yeah and and this he didn't put this in the book i heard this in a podcast he was on later so the story that's in pop culture now is that up to 70,000 us dollars or adjust that for whatever's happened since they wrote the book uh up <laughs> to that it's like you do see uh, an increase in happiness but beyond that it doesn't matter Like you don't like feel if you're asked hour to hour throughout the week or the year, you don't see an increase in happiness after uh, more income. But what you do see and what he said in the podcast is that people experience their lives as more uh, meaningful and better. Like if you ask them like on the grand scheme of things, how's your life? Yeah, that doesn't stop with like you can if you get the richer you get, the more meaningful it seems, (laughs) which is like kind of weird to me. I don't like I don't know, I don't have the data, no. I'm just yeah, I'm just quoting it, but yeah, you're rich
1: on experience, and that's maybe even better,
0: yeah, for sure, and I mean that's what I've always sought, like my my ambition when I was um in high school, yeah, I sat down with my uh, my teacher, you had this like student teacher conferences, and he asked me like what's your goal like what are you gonna what are you gonna do when you grow up, and like what grades are we aiming for here and I was very clear that my ambition was to surf and ski and be a bum. And my grades didn't matter. <laughs> and, you said uh,
1: that to your teacher?
0: Yeah. How yeah. did she
1: or he react to that?
0: He took it well. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, like I did get good grades because I've been very lucky to always been taking school. Like schools come easy to me. And that's been like probably one of the greatest gifts I've gotten
1: in this world you're this irritating boy sitting at the back of the classroom always getting the best grades but not
0: following the (laughs) the advice from the teacher. no I mean I was probably I wasn't at the back all the time sometimes in the Uh, front as well in front as well (laughs) but I've I don't know I just like I read from an early age my parents would read me books yeah and as I learned how to read I would continued doing that and like magazines and you know publications and all these things and so like from an early age i had the capacity to uh, consume knowledge in mm. written form mm. which when looking back on it that is like the one thing that society asks of young humans is to be able to acquire knowledge in written form yeah or spoken and um process it and then like digest it and communicate Give it back, it back. <laughs> Communicate it back in, in like a written a form, in written form, yeah, <laughs> or spoken, <laughs> yeah. and and that's been. It's such like a basic skill, but that's like the basic skill in all of school, which is like your life for so many years. So if you have that and you're you can do that without too much effort, then you have all this energy that you can put into other other things. Mm, that's so. True. I found myself always having like excess energy in a way. Yeah, yeah. Overskud? That's interesting.
1: In Overskud in Norwegian. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then I could you know develop other things that i was passionate about and i didn't think about this at the time it was just living yeah um but it just happened it just happened but yeah but like looking back on it i was like wow okay like i could do all these fun things that i've been able to do because school was so easy mm. and um your parents they are like professors and doctors they are professors and doctors <laughs> yeah exactly 100% <laughs> Uh my dad is a cardiologist and a professor. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and he works with his good professor buddy at the university and the hospital. He splits his time between like do, seeing patients and doing research. Um my mom was always like making fun of him for doing research and like that's lame until she started doing research too. And now okay. she's also she did her PhD like pretty like at an old age like in her 50s I think. Um but now she's also doing research and it's really cute to watch them like Statistics together and like feel like, oh, have you seen this number? (laughs) Did they have any ambitions
1: on your behalf, like going to the university, become a doctor as well?
0: I've thought about that too. And it was never like explicit that, like, you have to go to university, you got to get these and those grades, all those things. But at the same time, I never questioned, like, it was never an option for me not to go to university. That was just in my head that was that's just what you do you <laughs> go through school and do. then you go to
1: university <laughs> but um, if if we rewind maybe like twenty twenty five years how did you find skiing in the first place you went to this local ski lift yourself
0: uh yeah I mean everyone was kind of skiing mm-hmm. um there was a little uh, rope tow ski lift 15 like vertical meters maybe on um in the middle of town where I live in Tromsø, in northern Norway. That's a great town when you have that kind of ski lift inside the city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, really, yeah, it was nice. And we would just go there after. It would be open two hours every night after school. It would be run by the parents in the community. Ah, dugnad, the Norwegian word. Yes, Dugnad. Yeah. It was uh, do it for co- free. community community run and there would be little jumps Around, uh, there was uh, Himmelsbretten, okay. which is uh, the heavenly bounce. Uh, it could take you to the sky. <laughs> what a name. Yeah. Shout out to Espen Ulriksen. He was doing double backflips there when we were like 10. And I was oh, like, oh my God, this is crazy. Early age. Early age. And actually, um, this this was like a natural kicker in a way. Just mm. shaped by the terrain. It would snow on it. it. would shape it a little bit. And you could jump really far. And it was so big that when I was like 15, 16, they actually took a bulldozer and bulldozed it. Was too too gnarly. It was too big. It was too big. It was too, <laughs> heavenly. <laughs> so, too heavenly. Too heavenly. So the kids, sent into space. Sent into space. Yeah. So the kids these days they um they can't go there. But um no, that was good. And I was skiing there, and it was sort of a thing that was happening alongside all the other activities. So the pe- kids who were playing soccer or doing other things. They would also be uh be there, and I was there, and I was and I didn't like really connect with it and like identify with it until I was like 12, 13. Mm -hmm. That like skiing was a thing that I wanted to do maybe more than other kids wanted to do it. Um, And I think part of it was this thing of like not, you know, connecting with, you know, what the other kids were doing, like football and cross country skiing. Um, But then also there was the culture I saw. Um, I spent a year in Australia when I was 11. Um, Norwegian doctors and uh, people doing research at universities, yeah. they get every seventh year to like um have a sabbatical kind of where they can go wherever and do research or what find a gift. themselves. Yeah. A gift. It's a gift from uh, the social democracy, the liberal social democracy. We just accept. And a the, gift for the son in the house. And a gift for me. Yeah. So we went this year, we went to Australia and I discovered surfing and surf culture and just like. You know, saw the magazines of these pro surfers, mm-hmm. um, like free surfing and just living that life. And I was like, well, you can do that. That looks amazing. And then I came back to Norway and surfing in Norway at the time, especially when you're 11 and you don't have a driver's license. And there wasn't like the develop developed knowledge that we have now of all the surf spots, which because now there is good surfing in Norway, mm-hmm. I know, in hindsight. But at the time, I didn't know that. So I thought sort of, sort of felt like I lost lost that part of me that I had discovered and I was like wow surfing's amazing I want to get further into that but then I found ski culture that was kind of emerging um especially out of the US with like mm. the ski movies you know poor boys and level 1 and all these guys yeah um and I saw that it was you know it's similar it's kind of the same lifestyle and it's free and it's driven by uh young people dictating the rules uh there's none of the there's no coaches you can do whatever you want and and to me, that was very appealing. Uh, I've had, and I still have, sort of like this uh, aversion to authority. Mm. I don't like being told what to do, which I think maybe most people don't. Uh, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but
1: how, you did attend some swimming classes and yeah, yeah. So did I did try uh, to listen to a coach for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, yeah. so I did uh, competitive swimming uh, in, that started in Australia, because that's a big thing there. Um, and I did, I played basketball. I did play football for, uh like a season and I played, I did biathlon, you know, with the ski cross country skis and well. the guns. Um, and I did, that's an
1: exotic sport.
0: Yeah. <laughs> very <laughs> exciting. And I did, I did all kinds of things. And my brother was always making fun of me for just like bouncing back and forth between all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, never sort of finding my place. And then I, yeah, kind of found that with skiing and, uh, me and Vegard, the first few years, we—that was like our thing, where we were just getting so into it, and we like, you know, did urban rails and we hitchhiked to competitions. We were too young to be able to ski in, but we were there anyways, and uh, just sort of like going all in on on free mm. free skiing, free ride skiing. You had this
1: inner drive, yeah, that you don't get from your coach. Always.
0: Yeah, totally. And I just, I think I connected with, I think, and I think it's honestly, it's just the same thing that people have with football. You know, when you get that emotional connection to something and you're like, I want to do this all the time. I yeah. love this. and yeah. I want to pursue this. And it's, it's like, um, yeah, it's like love. It's just like this, wow, this consumes me. And I want it's this cons- all the time. <laughs> and I had that with skiing. Or I still have that with skiing. I want to do it all the time. Yeah, maybe not all the time, but...
1: But a lot of the time, <laughs> yeah. You must try to, in some kind of way, describe the modern free skiing scene. What is
0: what is it? Yeah, so to someone who's, who's never like, or ha- have no knowledge of it, it is kind of strange in a way because it's it is a sport in a sense, but then also it's more like a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially to me growing up like the the gravity of it like the foundation of ski culture wasn't competitions uh, it was these movies and these magazines and these photos it's very visual mm-hmm. it's um uh, so it's it, it's basically just like the how do you describe it? it's like the media produced around the people doing the activity that they love that they love yeah and it can be it can be a competition setting, yeah. which is also media production. You know, you have cameras and people telling the story of the competition. Yeah. But then it can also just be, you know, a, a lady and her friends on a mountain somewhere in Greenland um, pursuing a ski line that they want to ride and do it and tell that story. Mm. So it's, in a sense, it's just like the, the free ride scene, free skiing scene is kind of like the uh, accumulation of all the stories told of people... Doing it, mm. and then of course people have their notions of like who's better or worse, or who's the best skier, who's the worst, or not the worst skier. Of course, you don't see them, uh, <laughs> but uh, not in movies. Or you do see them, Jerry of the day. That's <laughs> Jerry. that's a good uh, that's a good addition to that's the a Great in- Instagram account. Very good. Check that out. Yeah, and um, yeah, so it's this. Uh, that's the
1: scene, and I think, and you had this dream to become a professional
0: athlete. this free skiing scene yourself no I didn't even like dream to dare like I did that was too big like I didn't dare dream of being a professional skier because it was it seemed so far away and it seemed so like mystical and mysterious Mm. and um, especially like I'm from Tromsø which is you know north of the Arctic Circle Um, we had a we had that little rope tow in town where um, I skied but then we also had like a tiny bit bigger ski resort 2 T-bars, mm-hmm. but there was like a park. There was like one jump, like two months a year, maybe. And it was seemed, yeah, it just seemed very removed from skiing. And also at this point, I wasn't really ski touring, at least in the, in the beginning that much. Um, so I didn't recognize the potential that was there. And I felt very far removed from, from the ski scene. Mm-hmm. Um but I was still doing it all the time and I loved it. But it was very like a more of like a personal thing. Like I love to do this. I just want to do this all the time. And um, to reference that conversation I had with my teacher, there wasn't like a professional ambition there. As a teenager and a young adult, I I didn't like recognize that you kind of needed a profession and a career and like make money to live <laughs> um, and which kind of speaks to like the privilege of my background too there like, will be money <laughs> there will be yeah i always had that like i was like i just saw people in their 30s and the, kind of no matter what they did it seemed like they always they were always fine you know they always they always had like houses and cars and like things kind of seemed <laughs> to work out so i always had this thing of like ugh, it'll like when i'm grown up i'll deal with it'll just work out and um which I kind of envy. Like I don't know if that's true, actually, but you read in newspapers now about like kids stressing out about school and all these things, and like getting into the right mm. uh, universities and things. And at least to me, that was like never a worry. I was like, yeah, "It'll be fine. Like, no worries. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> That'll work itself out." <laughs> so I didn't actually have the professional ambition till like later on. Um, till at least like early twenties, probably. Mm-hmm. I I was like dabbling a little bit with like getting gear. Like Nurana was pretty quick on the ball there, like right after high school, uh, he was um, a team manager at the time. Yeah. He was a legendary Norwegian telemark skier. Uh, he was like, give me some outerwear, but like no, no money or anything. And even then I remember I was kind of torn between like, do I want to do professional skiing or do I just want to ski because I love skiing? Um, and it took a few years. So I was like, so I went to, yes, yeah, so I went to high school, Ski and surfing very a lot of fun. We would do like school trips to Japan, Morocco. And when I say school trips, I, it means me and Vegard <laughs> telling the teacher, the football kids get to go to <laughs> Turkey and do camp. We should do our own surf <laughs> camp in Morocco or Japan or in Austria and all these places we went. Um so there's a lot of freedom there. And then uh, and then I got to started law school and in law school too, there was even more freedom. Like you didn't have to be in school at all. You could just show up for for your exams. So I went to, yeah, like all over the world, ended up spending four or five seasons in Chamonix, Mm -hmm. Alaska, Jackson Hole, uh, other places. Um, And in that process, I had a really tight group of friends uh, from Tromsø who were all very much into skiing and snowboarding. And they, uh, the first half of our 20s, they were all for it. They were, you know, spending, we were ski bumming, full on and really enjoying that um, but then I saw them kind of like getting dragged into normal life and adult life and for Notice us I noticed that you used the word dragged dragged <laughs> but not dragged I mean they were I mean they were gravitating towards gravitating. yeah I don't, uh, I don't a nice to, rephrase yeah yeah <laughs> no and, and I think and I was gonna say it's like cause that's I get that because I always had law school Mm-hmm. And I was also doing uh photography jobs, video jobs. I've I've loved photography and video and writing and just culture, like creating culture in general mm. since I was, you know, a teenager. Um, so I always had a lot of things besides skiing through the winter. So, you know, I'd be I'd be skiing the good days, maybe if it was a bad day, I'd be studying law instead or working on some video project or something else. So I always had like a lot of things to do. A lot Um, of things going on. Yeah, a lot of things going on and occupying Mm. my mind. Mm. Whereas I saw my friends who were purely ski bumming and like the only thing you were doing is skiing. Um, You kind of go crazy after a while. And I think it's... Yeah, I just think it's, of course, it's a lot of fun, but it's not always fun. There's bad days. Mm. And also fun that doesn't lead anywhere. You know, fun just to have fun. (laughs) <laughs> kind of becomes empty after yeah. a while. Yeah. And I think people see this with like nightlife and lots of activities. And so it's like it's really good if you have something you need to escape from every now and then. You know, if you're in a normal job or if you're studying or doing things and it's really good to like unwind and just clear your head and do something that's purely fun. But if you take away that thing you're unwinding from and you're just unwinding in the end that's not good for you, I think. And mm. I think also my friends who were sort of were drifting away from the ski bum lifestyle, that's what they felt. You yeah. need something uh, that feels more product- substantial. Or- yeah, more substantial and like just being productive. Mm. I've, I've thought about that a lot too. My my buddy, who's very admirable in a lot of ways, shout out to you, Isaac Krogstad. Uh He did the philosophy uh, while he was in med school just because he's that kind of guy and uh <laughs> that kind of guy. he's that kind of guy yeah, i know what you mean yeah they're, so, they're annoying huh they're <laughs> yes. too talented and you're like Whoa, <laughs> too we, talented. yeah what's up and he's also climbing like the crazy hard capacity grade. yeah it's too too much um but yeah he had this uh, he had to write this paper on the meaning of life and we were discussing this and cuz you have you have those like classic ones right you know like you're religious Mm -hmm. Uh, and the meaning of life is to live as God says you should live so you can go to heaven and then you have the sort of interpersonal ones where the meaning of life occurs in the meeting with someone Mm -hmm. and like that's yeah ethics arise from that and then you have um, but the one that kind of stuck with me was this uh, one with projects where like the purpose comes out of doing things and it's like the act of doing it itself that is the purpose that is the meaning of life to just do things and Aww. like make things happen and create. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I think it kind of also speaks to a lot of the other organisms, you know, like the tree is, you know, is making a big tree and uh you know the frog is making frogs and it's like <laughs> everything is like or the beaver is making a beaver dam. <laughs> yeah. uh, and more beaver little beavers. Um and I think that's also at least in my experience that's very meaningful to me like when mm. you when you create things and you, you do things, you have projects. Um, yeah. You seem to be a guy with a lot of projects going on all the time. Yeah. I've tried to cut down and be more focused yeah. and not have too many projects because that can also be stressful. Have
1: you experienced the result of having
0: too many? Yes. That is uh, deep depression and uh, heavy anxiety. And
1: uh, You have experienced that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have. I have yeah, I've been when, super depressed. When and why? Um, I think the heaviest one was in... Um, so I finished law school. Yeah. I've recognized that I want to be a professional skier uh, because if if I don't, I've seen my friends who are not becoming professional skiers, they're kind of losing skiing a little bit in their life. It's your focus gets pulled away to other professional pursuits, mm. which is natural. You know, you want to be uh, a sound engineer or a lawyer or whatever, mm. which is cool. Like those are cool professions too, but I've always had this strong love for skiing and I wanted to keep that in my life, but in a way that um, was sustainable over the long run, uh, both, you know, to keep the the passion going, but also just to have a to have a job there. And I didn't want to be a guide. Like I wanted to, I wanted to keep like the aspect of high performance skiing in my life. I wanted to actually get better at skiing and keep developing my skills in Mm -hmm. the mountain um, in that sense. And I saw that the opportunity to do that was uh, professional skiing, like uh, contextualizing my skiing so that it gave value to others so that it was not just for myself anymore, but so that there was a public who could uh, take part in it and in that sense, um, yeah, create value in the form of cash mm. that I could spend to live. Um, we can go into the business model <laughs> of it later. But that's the basic foundation of professional skiing, right? Just making your skiing valuable to more yeah. people than yourself and your immediate circle of friends. And, um, uh, and so I was solely working on this through law school. I was doing a video project working with sponsors and I was seeing that, okay, this might be, this might be sustainable this might be able to to work uh and so when i graduated law school i i went to to whistler in canada which is like the hollywood for for ski films really? yeah yeah it's it's yeah that's where that's where it all happens uh and i went there and i was like okay i really want to like see if this works this whole professional skiing thing um and then i just like went all in and went way too hard and um I had this like okay, how many hours are there in a day and in a week? Sort of mentality, and how much can I do in those hours? Uh, and and I was able to do a lot <laughs> in those hours, but I was also you were not. Pushing it. I was pushing it, and I wasn't considerate of myself as a, you know a human that has uh social needs and uh physical needs like you got to rest and you got to sleep and you got to see friends and family and uh all these things that I wasn't doing
1: you became a skiing machine
0: i became a skiing machine that's right <laughs> uh which which is not good and
1: how did you notice that the bad thing about it
0: well i became very depressed and sad and uh in Whistler, Blackcomb, in the middle. of I was in Pemberton. I was okay. up north a little bit. In the neighboring city. In the neighboring city, it's a, sort of a, a hub for sled skiing, yeah. like ski mobile skiing, snowmobile skiing, and um, mm. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It was kind of deteriorating slowly through the winter as things as things just sort of like as you, it kind of wears you down. Mm. I, and it's funny. It's like because I saw what I was trying to do. I was trying to put out like an edit every week and do short films and like other documentary projects on the side and like I was doing a lot and I like saw going into it like, okay, this is going to be rough. But I'm like, I was, I had this idea that like, I recognized that it was going to be rough so I was going to be fine because I was aware of it. But it's like, you can be as aware of the fact that if you hold your breath, your lungs are going to hurt as Mm. you want but you still need to like draw air. Mm. It doesn't matter how aware of it you are. Like there, you have these physical needs that you just have to, that you can't escape from that. And that's that was my experience with this. So I, I I kept it going for a long time. Like I was going till April, just full steam. Um, But then I was like, I had to pull the plug, like, cause I had more projects rolled up for May. Mm. And I was like, no, I can't do anything more. I'm like, I'm such a bad place. I need to Yeah, pull the plug and uh and rest. Yeah, and rest. I went surfing, hanging out with good friends. It's a good one. Yeah.
1: But depression and uh and yeah, feeling sad in such a place. That's uh, and with a pickup, two scooters. Helicopter. <laughs> yeah, everything seemed like you're. It you seemed like you were in a perfect place.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I was like, it was good. I had lots of good times. So that's but such I, a great paradox. Yeah, but I but I think like that goes back to what we were saying earlier yeah. about anyone in any walk of life can have a hard time, and it's like, what's his name Avicii killed mm-hmm. himself. It's like you can be on top of something professionally, but that doesn't really matter. Did you feel lonely? Um yeah, yeah, I was lonely. Yeah. Missing your friends back in
1: Norway and Chamonix or
0: Yeah, and I and I just worked so much I didn't have time to develop a new social circle. Because mm. I was just always I was like I was either skiing or I was working, like editing and doing things. So just no time for all the th- things in life that makes life good. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you have any
1: signs of uh that still? working out too much and maybe get those small signs of sad thoughts
0: and depression yeah i can still get that like if if i'm pushing it too hard Mm. um so it's more about like being conscious of it and and planning is huge and just saying no Mm. i think a lot of people like early on in their careers it's, it's difficult to say no because you're like oh am i losing this opportunity
1: it's better to be the yes guy
0: Yeah. And if you're the S guy, like more things happen, of Mm, course. mm. Um, But now I'm just like, no, 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 definitely not. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Not doing it. (laughs) Nope. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's good. And and the other good thing about it is that you get to do more of the things you actually want to do. Yeah. Um, And I have been fortunate, like my sponsors have been really like receptive to my ideas Mm -hmm. for how to do, do this professional skiing thing. Um, And I've been able to shape a lot of my own projects or Mm. all my own projects. Um, But like right now, it's, it's super good. Like I have, I'm just doing my own thing. I'm doing a series. I'm doing a film. I'm doing like a TV thing. And it's, it's like, and I've shaped these projects to not be uh, destructive to my mental health, to anyone else's mental health that I work with. I work with a great, Uh, cinematographer Jonas Mattela Mm. um, who and and I'm like okay we're doing a 37.5 hour work week standard Norwegian uh, kid work week and we're working more than that we're you know uh, taking time off to compensate (laughs) and we gotta do weekends and just like you gotta be rested to perform and I have this strong I, I really truly believe that you can do great things in any field um without sacrificing your well-being like you can perform at the highest level uh, and still have a good life and i think that's so important too because there's nothing that uh, justifies the opposite you know Mm. because if the process is shit then your life is shit like no matter what goal you have at the end of a process Mm. if that process is is bad then yeah your life is bad and the goal what is the goal like it's in the end, it just you reach it, and then mm. it's appear disappears in the air. And
1: yeah. sounds like a great philosophy.
0: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and it's not like it's not like my philosophy. I think a lot of people <laughs> recognize that it's the journey, not the destination. But we all have to
1: learn it ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. We have to go through it. And it's so easy to chase those uh, goals, mm. um, which is good, I think goals are also important but I think it's very important and it has been for me at least to recognize that Um, yeah I I gotta have a good process to get there Mm -hmm. and also for the people I work with like because I've been involved in projects that where you're pushing too hard and people are too goal focused and um, uh, and I don't want to do that project again I don't want to work with this person again because it was (laughs) such a shit time you know and uh, and I try to be the the other way, I want the people I work with to want to work with me again. Yeah. Because we're having such a good time. And also, just w- what we do now on the mountain is uh, for anyone who's not checked it out, there is a YouTube channel where you can see it. There's... And it's it's like documentaries about the experiences we actually have. So it's like a lot of ski movie production and just film production in general is you stage things. Even if it's a documentary, you're like, okay, you're a real person in a situation that you would maybe normally be in, but We're like staging it now for the film. Whereas what we're trying to do is to have, uh, just do ski touring and ski adventures and go skiing and just document it for what it is in the Mm. moment. And because, you know, we're skiers, we're not actors. So if we don't actually have a good experience, if we don't actually have an authentic, cool, good time, then there's no way for us to (laughs) fake it. So it has to be... You can't fake it. You can't fake it. It has to be pleasant and it has to be... Yeah, it has to be nice for everyone involved, because otherwise the product won't be the video won't be good. So I think that's that's good. And I'm very happy mm. to be able to work that way. Yeah. The
1: year after you have this what should we call it? Touchdown. Breakdown.
0: Touchdown. <laughs> the Tufatiya. <laughs> <And tefetia in laughs> yeah. That's what we call it. <laughs>
1: Up north, it's the Tuffettia.
0: Yeah, it's it's the rough, times, rough but times. It
1: seemed like you had this uh, epiphany or something. You had this great idea uh, that became the project endless winter
0: yeah thanks
1: um yeah you must describe that project to us
0: yeah so this was kind of born out of partly in my experience with just just working myself to death yeah. <laughs> uh, but also the experience of you know jet setting all over the world being on like the the pro skier program, the traditional pro skier program, because like I was trying to be a pro skier, um, which was working out, uh, I was happy for that. But I was just doing it in the way that my idols had been doing it. uh And then, and what I, kind of way is that? And that's like you're on this program. You're like you're filming in Canada and the U.S. You go to Japan. You go to the Alps. You kind of chase the snow around on forecasts, and you're. Flying a lot, uh, you're using helicopters to get up the mountain, you're using snowmobiles, huge trucks, Mm -hmm. um, just burning a lot of fossil fuels, like just a lot. Like my footprint at the time was four times higher than a regular Norwegian's, which again is like three times higher than the average of the world. (laughs) So a lot. So a lot. (laughs) So I was like, I wasn't like Bezos, I wasn't like one of those billionaire footprints, but it was still like pretty high. I was definitely like Yeah, not in the position you want to be in terms of CO2 footprint, especially if your job is to ski on snow. And if the snow melts, you're out of the job. Uh, So I was feeling that. And also I was feeling just this whole like, um, you know, meeting up with trying to connect with other professional skiers and like working with them for a week and doing another thing with someone else. And just like the... uh, you know, I have friends who play in like bands and stuff and they travel around with the band. Maybe they go to a new venue, but it's the same people and you're like a crew yeah. and yeah, you're maybe on the road for weeks or months, but it's, you're like a gang that's on the road. Whereas with me, this previous year I was working with multiple filmers, multiple skiers, uh, different people all the time. So it was just kind of me popping up in different settings with nothing. Like there was nothing that was consistent or stable. Everything was just up in the air and floating and like crazy. um, so I was trying to do something with both. I was trying to do something with my workload or three things, workload, mm-hmm. social life and uh CO2 footprint. And out of this, I made um, the endless winter project, which was instead of doing, I can't remember how many I did, but like, yeah, 15, I think short episodes and like two short films and like some other stuff. I did three. Uh, I decided to do like a trilogy, mm-hmm. you know, because Lord of the Rings, how great is that? <laughs> can't mess with the trilogy. <laughs> uh and uh, so like but but have it be better quality, like it go more quality, less quantity. Mm-hmm. And then uh involve my good friends from home, um Eric and um Christer, Eric Vallo, Christer Kapalo. Hello, hello uh, Yeah, they're good guys. Uh and work with them throughout the winter, and also you and Matila. Uh, the filmer I still work with Mm -hmm. so that we would be we would be the band and we would be traveling around together and have all these experiences the Beatles yeah the Beatles in a way but just yeah yeah, the Beatles yeah it's good uh, we're not Motley Crue definitely more the Beatles (laughs) (laughs) and um, and uh, and yes and then also reduce my emissions so that was like the three things I wanted to try to do Um, and And what
1: was the result did you manage to do all those three things
0: uh, yeah it all worked out, luckily. And it's still like my most successful series ever. So like the third episode has a million views now on YouTube, which like ah, blows my mind. Congratulations. Thank you. And the other ones are also viewed. And um, and a part of it was like, okay, so I was trying to do the professional skiing thing in, in Whistler, um And I recognized that it would probably be easier for me to live the life as a professional skier over there because you have all the infrastructure, all the people, all the community. Uh, But then I was like, I don't really want to live in Canada. I love Norway. I love Norwegian mountains. I love the culture. I love the people. I love my family and friends. Mm. And I want to be around that. So I was like, okay, I want to create that here. And I want to try to like, instead of, you know, connecting with a professional skier in Canada, what can I do to create that same community in, in Norway or in Tromsø? Mm. Uh, And so I tried to like, lift Krister uh, and Eric and be like, here's people and they're really good at what they do. They can be pro riders too. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially Krister. Eric he loves snowboarding a little bit more than the job of snowboarding. But Krister really latched onto the whole like pro rider thing. And he's made a career for himself now. And that's super cool to have someone locally uh, that I can go out with and mm. do project. And that has the time, you know. You wouldn't think about, of it, but it's like to actually find Riding partners in the middle of the week for that one weather window—that's important. That's important, and to not everyone has that flexibility in their adult life no, or in the, any that's for sure. walk of life. Yeah, <laughs> so just having that is uh, is really important. And then, and then there was the CO two aspect of it, and there is a lot of hypocrisy, and uh, well, I'm not going to say hypocrisy. But there's, or I will say hypocrisy. I wasn't a, hypocr- a hypocrite because I was like promoting Protect Our Winters and all that stuff while my uh, CO2 footprint was massive. And you have this
1: Protect Our Winters sticker and you <laughs> have this intercontinental flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you just
0: slap it on the plane and you're all good. <laughs> that just kind of cancels all the... That's irony. Yeah, that's irony. Um, which is still a thing. It's still happening, but it's like I wanted to... Yeah, maybe more more consistent, and mm. maybe like live according to my values a little bit more, especially with skiing. Because I mean, there's a lot lot of reasons to fly. You know, like if you um, if you're in love with someone, if you have family, mm. if you're uh, yeah, for work. You know, there's I, I understand that, and I still fly. But and it's it's hard to justify not seeing you know your wife because um, I can't fly to see you that's that's very difficult mm. because you know she's she's obviously more important to you than um your uh, than the you know the tiny little addition that you will add to global warming um but with skiing i found it to be different because how do i justify like this thing that's just, like pure hedonism and self fulfillment and um, cash machine mm-hmm. uh and how do i justify doing that in a way that melts not only the very thing I need to do it, snow, but also makes the world a shit place for a lot of people. So I found the, ah, uh, yeah, like the hypocrisy there like stronger than in a lot of other areas of life. Mm. And so that's why I really wanted to like do something with it there, and uh, I still do. And it's pain in the ass sometimes <laughs> when you're you know <laughs> driving. Electric uh, electric is good, though, but you're driving somewhere that you could fly in you know half a day and it takes you three days. Um, so. I
1: remember that you said something interesting about the environmental movement. You said that part of the problem is that there is so much communication coming from the environmental movement that we should all stop doing everything that's fun. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that's a huge problem. (laughs) So
1: if you were the chief communication director in an environmental organization, how would you communicate your message about reducing the carbon footprint?
0: Well, I guess my message has been that you can do, and that was my goal also with Endless Winter and Still Is, that you can do better skiing, you can do better, have better experiences and still cut your emissions. Like, I think, I think there's something fundamentally human about wanting to improve and wanting to do things better um, and just wanting better lives. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with the environmental movement in general is that um, you're not communicating how everyone's life will be better by doing this. Or it's very like detached from the main message. It's like, the forest will burn. And I guess most people are like, well, the forest is already kind of burning and I'm doing okay here. (laughs) And for me, It's a great communication (laughs) problem. This is a massive communication problem. And because I think it's natural, everybody wants to live live a good life. You only get Mm. one of them. Mm. You don't want to waste it on like some uh, ideological goal that you won't really see the effects of Mm. at all. And I think... Yeah, for me and also what I wanted to communicate with my project was that okay, I'm gonna reduce these emissions, but I'm still gonna ski better mm. as a skier. I'm so still gonna have better experiences and the f- film is gonna be way better. Like I'm gonna do yeah, do better with lower emissions. And I think that's the same with like EVs. Like why is Polestar, that's a plug. Um <laughs> why is that attractive? It's because it's, you know, it's an amazing sports car, four wheel drive, and it's a pleasure to use it and I think most people would rather
1: warning commercial.
0: Yeah, that's a commercial. We would rather use this this sports car that has zero emissions than like, you know, mm. a petrol one. Because it's it's just a better option. And I think the same with Nurana, you know? It's like, okay, the Gore-Tex is recycled, um, it has, you know, organic cotton. Everything is being done here to reduce emissions, but the quality is still premium mm. and better than last year. The, the design team has done a better job of uh, coming up with better solutions but solutions that are still uh pushing in the right direction mm. in terms of sustainability and i think that's i think that is the huge problem of like a lot of the environmental movement it's like no people don't want to be barefoot in the woods you know growing their own potatoes that's no like i don't want that and i think uh yeah. I want to have fun they want to have fun yeah boys and girls just want to have fun <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to say
1: to young people today then, uh, outdoor people who would love to experience, like you have done surfing on Bali, skiing New Zealand, climbing in the Himalayas? Well, I haven't. Should they all stay
0: at home or should I go? Well, my experience has been that okay, I, I haven't um, done New Zealand or the Himalayas, but um, Bali is full of... trash (laughs) it's it's plastic like don't go and uh, people it's like just traffic um and yeah i would say the best experiences are kind of close to home Mm -hmm. and something that you can do for a prolonged period of time um i guess cities are you know we're more and more city dwellers Mm. Um, and i think the lifestyle of you know living in hamburg and then flying to Canada for a two week uh, ski trip, that like the experience of living in Innsbruck and going skiing in Sillertal throughout the winter, or living in allison mm. and riding in the Sundmar Alps and having that be a part of your life, like you can't compare those two. Like the, the, having these, the things that I find good about life. Um, yeah, in addition to, of course, culture and all that stuff. Mm. But, like, having the things you love, like, surfing or skiing or rock climbing or whatever it be, uh, close to you and being able to do it in your local environment, I I find that to be the most valuable. And you can, like, you, of course, you can still travel. And, and honestly, like, they're going to fix airplanes, too. Uh, Bill Gates wrote a good book on, like, all the challenges of the climate and ecological crisis.
1: You. Yep. You have a lot of projects, and you told me that your next project is not flying but sailing to Svalbard. This
0: yes, small island up north. Yeah, it's. I think it's the last island before the North Pole. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we're sailing up to Svalbard. So, last in a couple of weeks or so. Uh, yeah, like three weeks. Yeah, should be interesting. And now it's in the beginning of May. Beginning of May. And I have some friends who are up there now and it looks good. The thing with Svalbard for skiing is that I think it's like technically a desert. Like there's not a lot of precipitation up there. No trees. No trees and not a whole lot of... not any rain or snow. Yeah, not a lot. Well, I mean, there is some, like there is snow, but Mm -hmm. it's not um, consistent. So we're aiming to go for uh, like slush, Mm cornstone and ride the melt freeze cycle, which I haven't done a lot of in the past um but we had um had a really good uh trip earlier this season to a mountain called Scumpton. We had an abnormally warm period in March where you got the so like the snowpack melted all the way through and then in the night it freezes and then you wait for the sun to come back and make the top centimeters inches if you're American hello America um melt and then you ski on that soft snow. And mm. it's and the good thing about it uh, is that it's very safe you're not dealing with the layered winter snowpack uh, that you have in cold snow. So there's you're not dealing with the same avalanche problems that you normally are. So it's easier in a way. And this is what we're aiming for up on Salbard. And so,
1: you're aiming for a first descent.
0: It would be nice to do uh, this mountain called Hornsinten, yeah. which is, um, it's like a, it's, I think it's the most stunning mountain in the south tip of Svalbard. Um, I've, I've only ever seen it on photos and it looks like there's a massive cliff in the middle there that I'm not 100% sure how you're going to get past. And I mean, I'm not like a, the best rock climber or alpinist. So I would have to, it will have to see. But there's <laughs> like, so I'm not going to like chain myself to this goal. There's tons of other really cool mountains around there. So um, that's a good thing yeah and also like i think with skiing it's not like rock climbing where you can like set yourself i'm gonna ski this peak and you spend 10 years trying to ski it because it's so condition dependent Mm. i think with skiing like at least for me the key to have good a good day of skiing is to just always be like okay here are the conditions today or this week or this month Mm. what is possible and then i set my goals um as to what is possible. What are the possibilities here? What is the range of cool things you can do and then do the coolest mm. things you can do within that range. And I've burned myself so many times. And this is also a shout out to the listener of being too objective focused as a skier, not only in life, but just like if, if you're too focused on like terrain features, I want to ride that couloir or this peak and not focused enough on where is the good skiing, where is the good snow, you're going to have a shit time. Like the way to have a good time skiing is for sure to uh, try to identify where is the good snow and the good skiing Mm. today.
1: To be neutral.
0: Be neutral, yeah. And Look
1: for the north side.
0: Yeah, look for the north side (laughs) or maybe it's the south side because you need the melt freeze or the east or the west depending on how the weather has been going. Uh, And maybe you don't want to make it to the peak. Maybe the good skiing uh, is like over on the shoulder or 200 meters below the peak. Um, At least for me, I find that like i don't consider myself to be like an alpinist or or a conqueror of mountains like i'm looking for good experiences with skiing mm. and that is not or most of the time that doesn't correlate with you know making it to the top of something or or this or that terrain feature it has to do with where is the good good conditions mm. today and where are the safe conditions today Nikolai we, get...
1: we are we are approaching the end of this episode okay. we should invite you back here more often because we have so much to talk about. But now we're going to end this episode with some questions that we will try to give to every guest here. And um, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> we have some um, philosoph- philosophical questions here. filosofiske spørsmål på Very nice. What are your best tips and tricks to create nature experiences in your everyday life?
0: Uh, don't work too much live close to nature and have friends that are into the same experiences so when you're not feeling maybe like going for that bike ride or that run you have someone else giving you a call and giving that little kick in the butt to get out there good move to Tromsø move to Tromsø move to Stranna <laughs> move to Ålesund yeah. move to great uh, cities of Norway or like anywhere close to nature
1: yeah what about Whistler
0: Yeah, Whistler's good. They have a lot of cool things. (laughs) Yeah. Just
1: don't do it the way I did it. (laughs) Which international celebrity would you like to invite on your next trip?
0: Ooh, I know this singer. Her name is Sigrid. She's a great celebrity and she's good for trips. (laughs) She's good for trips. Uh,
1: Here's a classic. What are your three favorite Norona
0: products? Ooh, ooh. I love the down pants. Those are amazing. Um... And this season I was blown away by the new uh, Lingen kind of like active, Gore-Tex active jacket. Yeah. Super lightweight. It's like 300 grams. And it looks really badass because you have the, the, mem- the pure membrane. It's like part of the, like not on the shoulders and the arms, but just like on your torso. It's pure Gore-Tex membrane. And it's like this black sort of shiny material. Ah. So it's, it's really comfortable, breathes really well and weighs nothing. So it's the perfect ski touring shell.
1: And it's coming out
0: uh this f- next season? Yeah, it's already in the web shop actually. So you can go have a look at it there, but I think you can buy it in August. Mm. Uh and then the third product, whew, wrecking my brain here. Um oh, there's so many. I I'm going to say I'm going to say the Tamok bib pants. Yeah. Just because That's they're, a good one. Yeah, they're just so comfortable and durable and I've had the same ones now since uh, many years and you and look
1: like a carpenter or something when you wear it
0: yeah yeah you do and you have these like kangaroo pockets yeah. on your chest you can just put all the stuff you want in there um, and they're comfortable when you're off the mountain it's yeah, super good if
1: good. you have like this Canadian shirt beneath it
0: yeah then you just gotta move it to Whistler right away <laughs> you don't have a choice actually <laughs> yeah it looks good with uh, yeah the, what is it with
1: flannel flannels that's yeah. good yeah you have already answered some of this but what kind of steps have you taken lately in your life to live a little more environmentally friendly?
0: Um, Yeah, so I've, I guess it's not like super lately, but I've cut down on my flying a lot. Um, I have cut down on my meat eating too, not to the point where it's non-existent. You're not a vegetarian. I'm not a vegetarian, but I've had my periods. But, and I think this would be my, like, if this is a, like to be any sort of advice. I feel like a lot of people uh, hesitate to take more environmental choices because it feels so like black and white, like, oh, I got to go vegetarian or I got to stop flying, which is like, no, you don't. Like, if you cut down like 80% of your meat or 50% of your meat or the same with your flights, that's huge. Mm. That's massive. That's, that's like, a good advice. Yeah. Like, you don't have to go all out. And I think that's been my experience with it too, just like reduce. Mm. But, don't be fanatical about it.
1: What's your uh, favorite soundtrack to skiing or driving your car right now?
0: Um, there's a really good playlist. It's called Piano Day by Nils Fram.
1: Nils Fram. Nils Fram the me- German electronical artist.
0: Yeah. He has some really good music. F-R-A-H-M. Nils, N-I-L-S. Piano Day. I think it's public. Yeah, it is. Yeah. he has, uh, And he keeps adding tracks to it. It's it's very good for uh it is like ambience. That's a good thing. Yeah. He's a genius. He is a genius. <laughs> have you seen the movie? Uh Victoria, I think is the English name. Yeah. It's a one take set in Berlin. I think it's uh not the Berlin in Norwegian. And it's he's made the music for it and it's it's amazing. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to say before we have to say goodbye? Any life motto or life philosophy?
0: Um Nice. Thanks for having me. It's been good. (laughs) Thanks for having me. That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We will invite you back.
1: Okay. We have so much to talk about. You have to give us, like, you know, advice about how to be a steep skier, how to tell the best stories in social media. We have so much to talk about.
0: Yeah. And thank you for uh, inviting me here. It's been, uh, it's cool that this is happening, that Nordana is doing the podcast and with you, the living legend behind the thanks. steering wheel it can only go well so it's been a pleasure thanks a lot see you later see you later
1: Norona podcast is published by the Norwegian outdoor company Norona Sport Norona has been producing premium outdoor products since 1929 Check out our clothes, backpacks, tents, sleeping bags, and skis on our website, norona.com. There, you will also find more inspiring stories about our rich history, the expeditions we have participated in, our ambassadors, and our ambitions in sustainability. Thank you for listening to Norona Podcast. We really appreciate it. And welcome to nature.